Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Ping-Tang Lin, and I will be your host for this research episode. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. We would like to remind you that we have plenty of past episodes, so please subscribe and catch up on some that you may have missed. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcast platform. In today's episode, I have Jean-Francois Bejen and Barbara Saunders, who are both FCIAs and associate professors at Simon Fraser University. We'll be talking about their newly published research paper entitled Exploration of Lifetime Pension Pool Design Elements. Lifetime pension pools are post-retirement plans where a retiree can convert a single premium into income for life that varies with future investment and mortality experience within the pool. This paper from Barbara and JF discusses the actuarial considerations of operating such a plan, from the mechanisms that share the experience to selecting the hurdle rate and communicating the risks to the members. Barbara and JF, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So let's start off by sharing a little bit about yourselves. What are your backgrounds and what do you do professionally? Thanks, Ping-Tang. Maybe I'll get started. So as you said, I'm an associate professor in actuarial science at Simon Fraser University. I joined us a few of us 13 years ago, and before that, I worked in the pension industry for eight years. I'm uh, still pretty involved in the profession, and I have to say that that background combined with my current involvement is really what drives my research these days, which tends to focus on emerging issues in pension practice. And my main interests these days are sustainability in occupational pension plans and particularly how to design and manage and regulate risk sharing in these arrangements. So I'm also an associate professor at Simon Fraser University. I've been teaching actuarial science there for the past seven years or so. My background is a little bit different than Barbara's. So I did an undergrad degree in AXI and then I immediately continued to grad studies as I enjoy teaching and research. I have a master's in applied math and a PhD in financial engineering, and more recently I qualified in Canada and became a fellow of the CIA. My research program mainly focuses on investments and finance, but in recent years and through my work with Barbara, I've been also very interested in retirement-related questions, and my work in this area primarily focuses on the design of hybrid pension plans and non-guaranteed arrangements. Great. Thanks for sharing all that. So for our listeners who may not be as familiar with lifetime pension pools, could you please explain what they are? Sure, I'll take a crack at that. So lifetime pension pools allow individuals to convert a lump sum into income for life. So a person can bring a pot of money to the pool and in exchange, that pool is going to make regular payments to them for as long as they live. And so this way, individuals don't have to worry about outliving their money, which is actually a, a significant risk for someone who's trying to manage their own retirement assets. So the lifetime pension part of the name refers to this income for life component. And the pool in the name refers to the fact that this is a risk pooling arrangement between the members and not a risk transfer to a third party. In other words, there isn't an entity that assumes the risk of how long a member lives. Instead, that risk is actually shared among the members of the pool. So as you can imagine, a pool like that cannot actually guarantee a specific level of income. There is nobody sort of backstopping that promise. So instead, the payouts have to be adjusted from time to time to reflect what's happening to the pool in terms of investment and mortality experience of the group. So 
if more members than expected die during a given year, then the surviving members would see their benefits increase because the money that's left in the pool by those who die is actually shared among the survivors. And of course, on the other hand, if more members survive than expected, then the benefits would have to be cut to make sure that there's enough left for everybody. Yeah, to add to that, I mean, there are various arrangements, products and, and monikers that fit this broad description that, that Barbara just described. And you might have heard names like group self-annuitization plans in the past or, or pooled annuity funds, retirement tontines or dynamic pension pools. They're all related to these lifetime pension pools. And in Canada, more specifically, we tend to call them variable payment life annuities or VPLAs for short. There are some examples of these pools in practice you might have heard about before. So, for instance, college retirement equities funds or craft operated by TIA in the U.S., since the 50s has been quite relevant example of these lifetime pension pools. In Canada, the poster child of lifetime pension pool is obviously the VPLAs offered by the Faculty Pension Plan of UBC since 1967. And more recently, we've seen more and more of these. So for instance, in Australia, QSuper introduced the lifetime pension to the Australian market in 2021. Uh, two financial services firms uh, followed suit in Canada in 2021 and 2022. So Purpose Investments with their Longevity Pension Fund and Garden Capital with their Guard Path Modern Taunting Fund or Trust, rather. And so how does the lifetime pension pool compare to the options that tend to be available today for people entering retirement? Yeah, the two most common options for converting retirement assets to income would be traditional life annuities offered by life insurance companies. That's the one option or individually managed drawdown of your retirement assets. So lifetime pension pools are a third option that sits sort of in between these two and shares attributes with each. They're similar to traditional fixed annuities because they provide income for life. But unlike traditional annuities, as I mentioned, that benefit payment is not guaranteed. And that lack of guarantee also comes through in the pricing. The annuities tend to be quite expensive because they need to hold risk capital to support that benefit guarantee whereas the lifetime pension pools can be less expensive because there is no requirement for risk capital because there is no guarantee. So that's sort of compared to fixed annuities. In terms of comparison to income drawdown, the lifetime pension pools are similar because they also allow for access to the equity risk premium. In other words, the pool can invest their money in riskier assets, gives potential gains to uh, members during the decumulation stage. They're not forced into a more conservative asset allocation. But the lifetime pool is different from the income drawdown in that the assets that somebody brings to the pool is not actually accessible to that individual anymore in the sense that there's no flexibility to withdraw more money if the need arises. Of course, the big issue with income drawdown is the potential to run out of money. If you're managing your own money, you might you don't know how long you're going to live. The lifetime pension pools do get away from this risk. They provide income for life. In fact, because they pool the individual participants' mortality risk in general, they would be able to generate higher income than an individual systematic withdrawal plan could as long as the member is alive. And so, like I said, these lifetime pension pools can give members the best of both worlds, if you will. They have both income for a life and potential gains from investments in risky securities, but there's a price to pay, and that's that benefit payments might change over time. And it's really, really important that members understand that trade-off. Right. That makes sense. 
Well, I believe this research project is actually a joint one between the Society of Actuaries and the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. So could one of you just describe the context around this research project, as well as maybe research motivation, and basically what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, of course. And you're right. This was a joint project with the SOA and the CIA. So there has been an effort to bring lifetime pension pools to the Canadian market now for quite some time. A lot of that effort was put into lobbying for changes to the legislation. But some practitioners have also been thinking about design and communication in the context of these pools. Asking questions like how to help members understand the trade-offs that Barbara mentioned or um, how to communicate downside risks or also how to make the product more useful and attractive for members. Building on some of this work, the SOA and the CIA put together a request for proposal in 2021, so some years ago now, uh, to investigate communication and design in the context of lifetime pension pools. I decided to put the proposal together, which I won, and shortly after beginning the project, I asked Barbara to join and she accepted my invitation and I was very happy with that and we started working together on this. In terms of general motivation for this project, we wanted to understand more about these lifetime pension pools. It was already a fair bit written on the topic in the past 20 years, but most of it was pretty much abstract and maybe not very tight to practice. So we wanted to close some of that gap. It's a very timely work, we think. With the recent regulatory changes that were made in Canada, we expect more and more of these pools to show up in the next few years. And we believe that actuaries should be ready for this because it might change the landscape quite a bit. More specifically about the project now, creating such lifetime pension pool produces a certain number of challenges for actuaries. And we've taken a look at two of these new concerns. So in the first report that came out earlier this year in February, we've investigated communication to members by introducing a new collection of measures. And here, keep in mind that communication is very important for members as members need to know the risk they are facing. Yet, it tends to be very challenging too, as members are not as financially literate as we would want them to be. So we need to work really hard with them so that they can understand the risk they're facing and make decisions accordingly. In the second report, we've investigated design elements of these pools as a second challenge. There are many different ways to set up lifetime pension pools, so some of which are existing designs, and other are completely new. And the main aim of our report was to assess the different options so that actuaries operating these pools understand what the impact of their design choices may be. At this point, we really want to stress that our main goal here with this report is not to provide clear guidance on how to set up these pools, but rather to give food for thought to future pool operators. Most of our results are presented as such in the report. We're always trying to figure out what are the advantages and disadvantages of different design elements? And there's always a trade-offs in these things. So we're always trying to focus on what's the trade-off and explaining why it's important. Thank you for the overview there, Jean-Francois. So now the research does, like you said, focus on particular actual challenges relating to what I've seen as four areas. So first of all, it deals with the mechanisms to allocate mortality and investment experience gains and losses, including some smoothing techniques that you may want to consider. 
Uh, secondly, it talks about some of the considerations around keeping these pools open versus close to new entrants. It also talks about selecting the appropriate hurdle rate that you may use to, I guess, price the uh, annuities that go into the calculation of the benefits. But then there's the consideration of using a fixed hurdle rate versus one that could vary in the future with investment performance. And then lastly, as you mentioned as well earlier, about helping members understand the risk that comes with this type of pool design. So hoping we can step through each one then, explaining what they are, some of the considerations that came up during your research, and the major takeaways that you've described in your paper. Yeah, it's a pretty long paper looking at all of these different pieces, so we'll just <laughs> try to add one. I'm going to start with allocating the experience. So there's really two questions here, and this is a very important piece of the design. The two questions are, how do you allocate the gains and losses between members in the pool? And when do you reflect that allocation? So in terms of the how, you could have the same allocation for all members, which means that everybody's benefit would be adjusted by the same percentage, regardless of their age. And that's what UBC does. There's an alternative in that you could allocate the experience based on each member's risk profile. So that's mostly a function of their age. And that way, you know, different cohorts of members would actually have different benefit adjustments. It's not clear which one of these methods is best. It, depends on the members' preferences. So in our report, we made sure to actually illustrate both of these approaches so the actuaries and potential pool operators can understand what the options are and then, again, what the trade-offs are that they come with. So that's the how. In terms of when to recognize experience, the literature that exists so far almost exclusively looks at immediate recognition. So that means the experience is allocated as it is experience, which is what's done at UBC, the benefit is actually adjusted every year, so quite frequently. It would be possible to actually delay the recognition of this experience somehow. So that's where smoothing comes in. Uh, this could be good because it could give participants a little bit more time to adjust their spending to changes in the income from the lifetime pension pool. But this can actually introduce value transfers among the members if it's you know, not implemented properly. And also a delay like that or a smoothing can actually impact the financial stability of the pool. So in our report, we found that some techniques for delayed recognition could be meaningful for the members, but there are definitely downsides that need to be carefully considered. I think the second thing you mentioned, Ping, was about a closed versus open pool to new entrants. So just to be clear, a closed pool means that no new members enter the pool after inception. So here the pool shrinks and ages as time passes. An open pool, on the other hand, allows new members to join the pool every year after inception. So here the pool membership could, in this case, for instance, grow or shrink or even stay stationary. So closed pools, if you think about them, they're obviously easier to manage because they do not need to account for new members when calculating the benefit adjustments. Adding new members in addition to making calculations more complicated might also have some implications from an intergenerational equity perspective. Yet, they tend to have also greater variability in adjustment at older ages, these closed pools, when compared to open pools. So Again, there's a trade-off, and in the report, we explain this one in, in more detail, but clearly, I mean, at first sight, there's no, like, best option, so so pool operator needs to, to clearly think about what makes the most sense for their members. Yeah, the third piece was uh, that we looked at was the hurdle rate. That's basically, as you mentioned, that that's the valuation rate. That's the rate that's used by the pool to value the benefits whenever the adjustments are made, and usually it's set at the inception of the pool, and it's actually a really important assumption or, or a feature of the design because it, it impacts the general behavior of the benefit stream. So depending on whether your hurdle rate is low or high, 
your benefit stream might be increasing or expected to increase or expected to decrease over the long term. So, so far, most of the studies on lifetime pension pools have focused on just a constant hurdle rate that's set when the pool is first set up. Now, in practice, it would be possible to consider a variable hurdle rate. So that's kind of the same as, you know, from time to time, adjusting your actual assumption, your, your discount rate assumption, to uh, link it maybe to return expectations on the pool's assets. You know, as the economy changes and as those expectations change, you, you could reprice the pool essentially with a variable hurdle rate. So doing this could actually be beneficial. It, our research showed that it could reduce the benefit volatility if it's done correctly. And it might actually support fairness between different cohorts of members as well. But of course, if you have a variable hold rate, that can be quite a challenge from a communication perspective. It might be difficult for members of the pool to understand you know, when and how that rate is changing and what it does to the benefits that they can expect. And it actually also complicates the, uh, the actuarial calculations a fair bit. The final thing we've investigated was communication, and that was covered in, in the first report that we published in February. So as mentioned earlier, Given that income provided through a lifetime pension pool is expected to vary as a function of the investment and the mortality experience, it would be helpful for members to understand the benefit risk they're facing. So as such, in this report, we've considered a measure called benefit at risk. It helps members understand the risk profile of a given pool. And this measure, in a sense, if you think about it, is very similar to uh, the value at risk used in finance and insurance. And in lay terms, it informed members of the extent of possible benefit losses with respect to some basis of comparison and over a specific time horizon in the future. One thing to keep in mind is when communicating to members is that they're not actuaries. So we need really to make sure and ensure that they understand the words we're using and the numbers we're reporting. And this is a very, very difficult task because, as we said earlier, most members are not as financially literate as they should be or could have been. Uh, and this report, while in addition to providing this new measure, also provides some wording to help actuaries uh, communicate with members. Great. Thanks for summarizing these four points, Barbara and Jeff. I encourage listeners to you know, read the paper if they're interested in any of these items that we just talked about. Now, what do you think are the major next steps before we can see more of these pension pools available in the Canadian market? This is such an exciting time. If you love these pension pools, I mean, for me, I've been up for a long time and it's just so exciting to see the expansion that's happening. You know, some of these pools are already available. We mentioned earlier, UBC has had VPLAs for the past 50 years or so. Canadian investors now have access to the mutual fund that we mentioned, you know, that include longevity pooling now. And so we are actually expecting a lot more of them to come into the market pretty soon once we have appropriate regulations in place. So in, in some sense, we're just waiting for a little bit of more regulations to come in. But in terms of next steps from actuaries, I would say that more work definitely on communication and on the design elements is needed. Our research basically just scratched the surface. So we really encourage all actuaries and also the institutes to continue working on this topic, which we think is going to be transformational. Great. So you mentioned there about the actuaries. So how do you see actuaries contributing to the future operations of these pension pools? Actuaries have an incredible toolkit of methods and techniques that are very useful in this context. For instance, I mean, if you're setting up one of these pools, requires a lot of knowledge about pension mathematics and life contingencies. Or if you think about the day-to-day -day management of these pools, then uh, it also requires some risk calculations and assessments that actuaries have been doing 
in multiple contexts over the past decades. So from designing to day-to-day management, we have no doubt that actors will play a key role in the future of these lifetime pension pools and, and will be able to contribute. Well, JF and Barbara, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. For our listeners, just a friendly reminder that if you have ideas for a future episode or would like to contribute to the Seeing Beyond Risk blog, we would love to hear from you. You may find our contact information in the show notes. This is Ping Tang Lin, your host for this episode, and thank you for tuning in to the Seeing Beyond Risk podcast.